Today, we're going to uh, continue where we left off last time uh, in uh, Genesis, in Breshit, and uh, it kind of is a reminder to, it's a great illustration, the story in chapter 22, you know, of Abraham going up the mountain with Isaac, that uh, it is a great illustration of really what Purim is about. You know, we'll be retelling the story of Purim on Wednesday evening, so I hope that you'll be here and sharing uh, a couple of uh, practical applications of it, what it means in our lives as, as part of the Jewish community, as part of the Messianic Jewish community. So we'll be talking more about that on Wednesday evening. Uh, but really what it is, is about faithfulness, right? God raised up Mordechai and uh, Esther for such a time as this, right? And that time comes often in our lives. And can be every moment of our, can be at the supermarket when we're in the checkout line. Uh, perhaps, you know, God might impress upon you to say a word to a person standing in front of you or, or, uh, per, or, or at, a, you know, at the car repair place or uh, wherever you are at work, you know, for such a time as this. It takes a cultivated walk with God to recognize when that time is. You know, it doesn't just happen. It happens because we've cultivated a walk with God where there's a, sense, a spiritual sensitivity to what we see and to what we hear and to our heart. So, you know, if, if you uh, are someone who, uh, you know, you don't really read the Bible that often, but you know the story and, uh, and you attend a lot and do a lot of things, uh, you might not have that sensitivity, you know? But you got to be a person of prayer. You have to be a person who's in the Word of God, uh, a person who is genuinely uh, embracing God in Yeshua. Then we, there's a sensitivity, and it makes life, wow, pretty exciting because opportunities come our way all the time. The problem is, is we miss many of them, see? Uh, because we're not focused. So, uh, I, you know, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of the, you know, the trajectory of a rocket. You know, it's amazing to me how that works, right? When they send up these missiles or, you know, uh, uh, rockets when, like, when they, you know, going to the moon or something's going off to Mars, how do they figure out that it goes the right direction all the way, you know? Uh, there's a particular trajectory that begins at the beginning. And so by sending it off in the right way, it keeps going. So we need to have that kind of focus, to be on the trajectory to be able to know when opportunities come our way. So last week when we were talking about uh, chapter 22, last week we focused on the text itself, on the story itself of Abraham and Isaac and going up the mountain. And remember, a great lesson there is, is in the faithfulness of uh, Abraham and the faithfulness of Isaac that it didn't seem to make sense along the way, what was going on. But Abraham knew that God was going to work this out, even if his situation was such that he wasn't sure, you know, uh, what to do other than keep moving forward, you know, and that God would indeed uh, be faithful. And, uh, and of course, we can apply that in so many different ways in our lives uh, which we did, uh, which we did last time, but this week we want to focus on 
what this passage came to represent uh, later on uh, in the Brit Hadashah, uh, stopping along the way with uh, even what it meant uh, in the, the Jewish community and what it continues to mean uh, in, the, uh, in the Jewish community. And, you know, without uh, the background of the Akedah, the, the, Akeda, the, the binding of Isaac, without uh, this background, uh, and therefore without, as it unfolds in the Tanakh, when we come to the pages of the, uh, of the New Covenant, and we read about the death and resurrection of the Messiah, without any knowledge of what came before, it almost sounds pagan. You know, okay, so let, let me see if I understand this right. Without, without anything coming before it, a God sends his son, and he's a God, and he dies, and he raises up from the dead. That sounds a lot like ham and cheese to me, okay? I, but when the story of Yeshua is placed in the context of the story, the greater story of Israel, the greater story of what God uh, began to do when he called out Abraham, now we can see how this whole thing makes perfect sense from a Jewish point of view. Now, you know, uh, just the other day, uh, I was uh, somewhere and I heard, I heard, a, uh, I heard a Jewish song, uh, one that we all know, Hine Mato. But it had a different, uh, it had a different tune to it. It didn't sound like... It sounded different. Uh, and, uh, and the person singing it added in a bunch of hallelujahs, and it was kind of soft and contemplative and so on. And I thought to myself, you know, if I was hearing this, this song, in this way, I, I, in, uh, I don't know, on the radio, <laughs> or out in the street, or somewhere, uh, other than where I was, I, it would it wouldn't, I would say, oh, wow, I'm not so sure this sounds Jewish. But where I was, was, in a, uh, was at a, uh, a Jewish school here in uh, Columbus, I, uh, watching I, uh, Michael Goulet and others uh, at the Columbus Jewish Day School have a Kabbalat Shabbat program. I, and I, and here, uh, the person who is like uh, the song leader or the, the person who does music or something was, was uh, like singing this song as the kids were coming in. And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. Because it's here, of course it's Jewish, even though uh, it, might, it might have a little different sound than what I'm used to. But because of the context of it, it's Jewish, you know? Much like, does everybody know who Leonard Cohn is, was, right? Right? And you know the song, the, the famous, famous song. You know, he wrote a lot of things. But anyway, the famous, famous song, Hallelujah song, right? Jewish guy wrote that, you know? Uh, so it's just kind of interesting. So when you come to the Bible, to the text of the Bible, when you read about Yeshua, in uh, the Brit Harashah, without any background, certainly uh, it uh, uh, can appear as something not Jewish. But when we see it, again, in its greater story, as part of the story of the Jewish people, 
part of the story of God's relationship to Abraham and then to Isaac and to Jacob, then we see how, how the coming of Yeshua, uh, his uh, teaching, his life, his death, and his resurrection are all uh, a part uh, of that uh, part of that story. Okay? So when I, we look at this passage, okay, for example, at the beginning of it, here we go, uh, at the beginning of it, we read, as we saw last time in verse 2, and he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Well, we talked last week about the issue of what, what's with the burnt offering. But uh, this week we want to focus on when he says, take now your son, uh, your only son, and sacrifice him. So obviously Abraham had another son, right? Ishmael wasn't his only son. And it wasn't even the only son who he loved when, when, when you read the text. But you see, what God is saying to Abraham here is take the son, the son of promise, your only son through whom your legacy will be, your only son of the promise of descendants and of the land uh, and of being a blessing to the nations and, and so on. So he accentuates not just Isaac, one of the sons of Abraham, but Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of a promise. Okay? So now in Jewish uh, tradition, this act of Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain, and remember we said last time that the text goes almost out of its way to describe methodically the gathering of wood and setting it up and, and, uh, you know, and then Isaac asking the question, where is the lamb? And, uh, and then God providing at the last minute as he's holding the knife. The text explained, goes into detail uh, explaining this. So this is considered in Judaism to be the greatest act of faith that Abraham or any human being ever had. And it led, it led to the development of a Jewish belief called, in Hebrew, it's called Zachut Avot, okay? Which means the merits of the fathers. The merits of the fathers. And what it means, and this is very interesting if you know something about Christian theology, that the faith or faithfulness of Abraham is imputed into Israel. In other words, the righteousness of Israel isn't really the righteousness of all the people. It's the righteousness of Abraham applied to everybody. Isn't that interesting? Because, of course, we know from the text of the scriptures that uh, it is the righteousness of uh, Yeshua, the Messiah, uh, in whom we have uh, our righteousness. So although the, the, uh, that literally the, the merits of the fathers, does, it's not because of the merit of Abraham. It's the merit of, of God and what, what God has done that we have, have righteousness. But it is very interesting 
to see this, uh, you know, this in, uh, in later, developed later on uh, in, uh, in Judaism. Now, what's also interesting is that if you read throughout the Tanakh, you really don't read too much about this. You don't read too much about uh, Abraham and Isaac. Where you do begin to read it is later in the, what we call the Second Temple period. Okay? So, like, the end of the Second Temple period, that's like the New Covenant time. That's when Yeshua came, right? But in that period of time, in between the Tanakh and the Brit Chadashah, you begin to see uh, this uh, 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 accentuating of Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain, okay? And the great uh, faithfulness of uh, Abraham, but also the importance of Isaac, the important role that Isaac plays. And what begins to happen, and I'm not going to have time to quote lots of texts and all that, uh, is that there began to be this amalgamation you might, of this coming together of the Passover story and the Abraham and Isaac story, in that the, uh, you know, the substitution of the lamb for the firstborn Became, uh, began to be understood as the, the, uh, the, um, the, the fulfillment, one might say, of Abraham and Isaac. That Abraham uh, taking Isaac up the mountain and Isaac uh, not dying, uh, but uh, the substitution of the lamb uh, was, became uh, a picture of uh, the firstborn being Israel living and the lamb uh, uh, dying. And there's a couple of places. One is in the apocryphal book of Jubilees. You see this uh, because that had to do with uh, dates and times and seasons and, and so on. And so there becomes this understanding of the... Um, uh, the, the blood of the binding of Isaac, as, as it's called. So uh, in, in the Passover, in, in, the, in the Passover. Uh, and then you also see it later on, so that's before the Brit Chadashah, right? But then after the Brit Chadashah, uh, there's a particular Midrash, uh, which uh, is sort of uh, is based on the book of Exodus, Okay. And uh, in that particular Midrash, uh, you see, again, quite clearly that the binding of Isaac is echoed in the, in the Passover story. So that's important. Uh, that's important for us. Because when you come to the Brit Chadashah, we see lots of terminology that relates to both, seemingly to both, the binding of Isaac, and, of course, the Lamb of God, right? So one thing I wanted to point out is actually in the book of Exodus, if you look in the fourth chapter of Exodus, it's interesting how God refers to Israel when he's giving um, uh, Moses instruction. So in Exodus chapter 4, in verses 22 and 23, it says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. 
So I said to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So it's very interesting that you see Israel is called the firstborn son. Now, literally, uh, Israel is not the first people ever to live, right? But in very much the same way, the way uh, God says to Abraham, the son whom you love, right? Your only son, the son of promise. So Israel is the children of promise, or uh, as we see here, the, the son, the prominent son. And isn't it interesting that that is exactly what we read about Yeshua, right? In many different texts, uh, uh, in John 3.16 and uh, other, places, uh, other places as well. So it is interesting, if we look in the Brit Chadashah, you do see very interesting texts. For example, in uh, John 3.16, For in this way God loved the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Clearly, Yeshua is called the only Son, right? Uh, and when you recognize this as part of Israel's larger story, it goes back to Abraham and Isaac, your son, your only son, the son whom you've loved. If you go back to uh, Genesis, not Genesis, uh, Matthew chapter 3, there in verse 17, you're probably familiar with this, right? Or verse 16 and 17. And after being immersed, Yeshua went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw, a, he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and, uh, and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's why John writes what he writes in chapter 3, right? Because we, we see here at the very beginning of Yeshua's public ministry, for this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's interesting here is uh, that that text in verse 17 really is the integration of two passages uh, in, uh, in the Tanakh. One is from Psalm 2, right? Uh, where we read about uh, the beloved son, the son who is the king the son uh, who is uh, paid homage to, right? Uh, the son who is king over all the earth in Psalm 2. But when it says, in whom I am well pleased, there we go back to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah in chapter 42. In chapter 42, at the beginning of the chapter, we read, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I am well pleased or in whom my soul delights. Now, of course, Isaiah chapter 42 is part of a whole section of Isaiah about the servant, the servant of God and the suffering servant. And it is no coincidence that in uh, chapter 53 of uh, Isaiah, we read about the suffering servant, Right? We read about uh, the, the servant who suffers and the, the servant who dies, uh, taking our sins upon him, right? 
uh, in verse 6, it says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open up his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. What's fascinating about this is that later in Jewish history, in a variety of rabbinic passages, not in the Bible, but in rabbinic passages, Isaac not only comes to represent the, uh, the faithfulness of Abraham, or even his own faithfulness, but like I said, his faithfulness leads to the, uh, the, the uh, righteousness of Israel, that there's this relationship of the, uh, the sins of Israel basically being forgiven as a result of this great act. So that's fascinating. In fact, when you read about the, the origins of the idea of resurrection, this passage in Isaiah or in uh, Genesis chapter 22 comes up, uh, the Akedah, and being linked to the Passover, being linked to Isaiah. And this is very helpful for us in understanding why we read uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that this is part of the Jewish story. It's part of Israel's story. It didn't just come out of nowhere, see? Uh, and then also, speaking of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, right, where the curtain is pulled back and the glory of Yeshua is, is uh, seen, you read here, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud over... This is verse 5 of Matthew chapter 17. While he was still speaking, behold, a, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, like once again, the bot kol, as it's called in rabbinic literature, by the way, I, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But now it says, listen to him. He has authority, in other words. So I'm going to suggest to us that when you read the words beloved son in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and elsewhere, that that is carrying Jewish theology along the way. That it's not just now, uh, out of nowhere, God had his son and his name is Yeshua. Okay, that it's coming, going all the way back to this paradigm, this model of Abraham and his relationship to Isaac and God's relationship to Abraham and Isaac. So that when we read with eyes of New, Co of New Covenant understanding, verse 2 of, Ma of uh, Genesis 22, your son, the son whom you love, your only son, we need to get it. That, aha, Abraham and Isaac, the faithfulness uh, of Abraham, the faithfulness of Isaac, indeed, the faithfulness of God. Now, there are some passages in the New Covenant that speak to, about this directly. One is in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Hebrews 11, in verses 17 to 19. 
You know, when I uh, was uh, praying earlier, I, I believe I mentioned this idea of a great cloud of witnesses, right? Well, that's from the great cloud of witnesses are all the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Now, of course, you know what's interesting about Hebrews? It, the name of the book is kind of interesting. The book of Jews, uh, you, you know? I mean, I, that's what it is, Hebrews, uh, Jews, right? Or Messianic Jews. In fact, I think in David Stern's uh, uh, a Jewish New Testament, it's called Messianic Jews. I think that's what he calls it. And uh, that's who it's written to, you know? Uh, and so very, very important. And people who were on the fence, so to speak. You know, it's a whole, there's a whole history of, uh, of the book of Hebrews and how it was originally like a sermon, you know, using a lot of rhetoric and to plead with the people not to abandon, uh, not not to abandon Yeshua, uh, and so really there he it's, so it's written in a very interesting way, and of course Abraham comes up, uh, no doubt. So here you see uh, in uh, verse seventeen, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, was offering up his only begotten son. Isn't it? See, he uses his only begotten son, obviously identifying this with Yeshua, no doubt. And then he says, and it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants uh, shall be named. In Isaac... In the promise that Sarah was going to have a child and Isaac is going to be the son of promise, in Isaac your descendants will be named. So Isaac is, is you know, Isaac in the Brit Hadashah is sort of one of the, um, uh, plays a very important role, but his name is not accentuated. But his name comes up in a couple of very important places. Like in, in Romans chapter 9, you know, the, the promise, and the, the child of promise, right? Uh, and here uh, we see that in Isaac, your descendants will be uh, called. So the presence of Isaac is really the, the, uh, the focal point of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. And then he says in verse 19, he considered that God is able to raise uh, to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. And we might say, as it were, as a type. You know, uh, this idea of raising up is very interesting in New Covenant language. If you read the book of Acts, the word raised up is used to describe uh, Yeshua coming. Yeshua, God raised up Yeshua, meaning he brought him into this world. And raised him up from the dead, okay? Quite clear in Peter's speech in Acts chapter 2. Uh, uh, but here uh, we see that what the author, he's doing several things here. I, I, I think he's doing several things. One is he's making this, this great statement about Abraham was a great man of faith because Abraham obeyed God because he already knew that Isaac is the child of the promise, yet what God asked him to do didn't seem to make sense, but he followed through, knowing that, knowing that he was going to return with the lad, as it says in Genesis 20. He knew he was coming back with Isaac one way or the other. 
But he also, the writer of Hebrews, may also be playing in to this Jewish understanding that perhaps Isaac died and was raised from the dead. Although the text in Genesis 22 clearly shows us that Isaac did not die, but that the writer of Hebrews is making a, a point a, to these Jewish people uh, about the faith of, uh, of Abraham. And it's quite, uh, quite interesting that he says here, as a, as a type, as a, as a type of what? It, what's interesting is he doesn't, he doesn't say, <laughs> okay? Uh, but a type, uh, may I suggest, of the whole story. A, a, a type of the faithfulness of God a, 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 in sending uh, the Messiah uh, to come uh, in, into this world. Uh, and that Abraham is a mirror or accentuates the faithfulness of Abraham mirrors the very faithfulness of God. That, that it is the faithfulness of God who is responsible for the uh, coming of the Messiah. And that Abraham's faith mirrors the very faithfulness of a God. And so we see the faithfulness of, uh, of uh, Abraham in, in sending Isaac, one might say, you know, up that mountain with him, which, again, we see in Exodus is a picture of the faithfulness of God in saving Israel from the dead in Egypt, which is a picture of the faithfulness of God in sending Yeshua to come into this world to die for our sins. Isaac is the only begotten son. Israel is the only begotten son. Yeshua is the ultimate representation or the fulfillment, you know, of the only begotten son, the very incarnation of God, the very fulfillment of the promise. The promise wasn't only in Isaac. The promise wasn't only in Israel coming out of Egypt, but the promise comes through uh, Messiah Yeshua. We see uh, in another place in James, the book of James, it's in the neighborhood of uh, Hebrews. We can look there. In, in James chapter 2, we see uh, the passage spoken about specifically. In James uh, 2, verse uh, 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of his works, faith was perfected. And the scripture fulfilling was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then Rahab is given as an example. So what you see here is, is that uh, the faith of Abraham is demonstrated in his faithfulness. The faith of Abraham is demonstrated in his faithfulness. Not that he's, you know, saved by doing good things or anything like that, but his faith is demonstrated in his faithfulness. I, I, and then isn't it interesting that Rahab is given as a second example? Rahab and Abraham, you know, in the same breath. Wow, uh, that, that's a message in and of itself. You talk about... Uh, uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? You know, to the nations. Uh, Abraham and Rahab, 
examples of faithfulness. A Canaanite woman and the father of Israel, the father of faith. Isn't that amazing? What's also amazing is what these two passages have uh, in common is that they're both written to Jewish people. Isn't that interesting? That where we read specifically about Genesis 22, specifically, unequivocally, in the New Covenant, is when the author is communicating to Jewish people. It just goes to show you how important this passage was and how well known it was by the time of the first century, at the very end of the Second Temple period. This text had a lot of importance uh, teaching Jewish people about God's faithfulness and not abandoning them, uh, in the concept of resurrection, in the uh, b- belief that um, I, I, uh, of uh, God's unconditional love of the Jewish people, and uh, of that the Passover lamb, the, substi- the, the substitution of the lamb uh, uh, for Isaac had, had great meaning. And we, so we see here in these two passages, which speak specifically uh, of the Akedah, uh, that we're supposed to get out of that. Wow, when I read Genesis 22, I'm reading about, yes, Abraham's complete obedience to God no matter what. No matter what it looks like. No matter what it says. No matter what they say, whoever they are. Right? That Abraham was obedient to God. And isn't it interesting, at the end of chapter 22, it seems that because of that obedience, the promise is concretized. The promise, uh, you know, of many descendants and of a land and of blessing the nations comes because Abraham was 100% obedient to God, just like in chapter 12, where he had to leave his relatives and his father's house to go where God told him to go. So here in, you know, there in chapter 22, we see that it is because of this episode with Abraham and Isaac that the promise uh, becomes concretized. Now, there's something else. There's a few other passages that I, I, I wanted to mention. One is in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And then he goes on to say that God's promises are yes, nothing will separate us ever from God, and and so on. But again, you've got to wonder. It's true that this passage does not speak specifically about Isaac uh, and Abraham. But he who did not spare his own son, that sounds so much like exactly what we get out of Genesis chapter 22. Abraham did not spare his own son, but was completely faithful in bringing him up that mountain, right? The difference is, of course, is that Yeshua is is not Isaac. He was not spared. He actually is the fulfillment. He takes our sins on him. He actually is uh, the one in, uh, who uh, uh, in righteousness was imputed upon us. Not Abraham, not the fathers, not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, but Yeshua. He becomes the complete fulfillment of this 
uh, of this uh, story. Uh, and, and so I would suggest that when we read about God's only beloved son, the backdrop is Abraham and Isaac. And that the story of, of God sending his son or the father sending his son is this picture of Abraham uh, and, uh, and Isaac. And that when we talk about the faithfulness of God, we're talking about the, the, uh, that, that Abraham's, again, Abraham's faithfulness is a mirror of the faithfulness of God himself, who is the one who, who uh, gives us, in fact, uh, salvation from our sins and the world to come. You know, there's another passage in Colossians chapter 1, which talks about this deliverance. And in a way, is this amalgamation again of the, of the, of the, of the Lamb of God. In Colossians uh, chapter 1, very famous verse in verse 13. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And so we see that in the type of Isaac, we see the coming of the Messiah. In the type of Isaac, we see the coming of the Messiah. That in Isaac is the promise. In Yeshua is the promise. And you know, I, I, I don't have time to turn to this, unfortunately. But where in the book of Galatians, where you read about the promise of Abraham, that that's a phrase, the promise of Abraham, and about how the promise of Abraham uh, has now come to pass in, in Yeshua, and all who believe in him are, you know, by faith, sons of Abraham, the promise of Abraham. You know that phrase, promise of Abraham, is in one place in the Tanakh. One place. Oh, okay. It's in Genesis chapter 28, when Isaac is... Uh, giving the truly giving the covenant to Jacob, uh, the, not the promise, the blessing of Abraham, the term blessing of Abraham in uh, Galatians chapter three. So this phrase, blessing of Abraham, may he. So you see that uh, uh, it is Isaac at the beginning of the chapter. Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, charged him, so on and so forth. But in verse four it says, "May he also give you the blessing of Abraham." to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings which God, which God has given to Abraham. If we read the whole thing, we'd see the blessing of many descendants, the blessing of land, the blessing of the nations, you know, all of that. But it is interesting that Isaac is the one who's communicating it. That through Isaac comes the blessing. Through Isaac comes the uh, a promise. And so, uh, very interesting, this relationship of Abraham and Isaac, God and Yeshua, and us, right? Well, there's a few other passages we could turn to, but we'll save that. And let's just make this point, uh, and that is, uh, so, so what do we get out of this? Well, we get out of this a few things. We get out of this, one, that the story, the gospel story, doesn't begin... In the Brit Harashah, the gospel story begins in Genesis. And it's good news when God calls out Abraham and blesses him 
you know, uh, with the personal blessings on his own life, many descendants, and in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's good news for the world. See? And it begins to play out. And it begins to play out very much in the relationship of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac, the son of promise. When Abraham brings Isaac, first of all, in chapter 21, the birth of the child of promise coming supernaturally through Sarah and Abraham, right? That's good news. That supernaturally the child's going to be born. The one who's going through him is going to be the blessing to the nations. When Abraham brings Isaac up the mountain and God provides the ram, good news. Isaac is still alive. Isaac lives. Isaac is the child of promise. But yet we see the, uh, the substitution, good news. That becomes amalgamated with the Lamb of God. Good news. Behold the Lamb of God, right? Good news that uh, uh, the firstborn doesn't have to die, but the Lamb is going to die. Then what's interesting, and, and the rabbinic literature ties this together, good news in Leviticus that when Israel sins, there's a substitution, a lamb, a ram offered instead of the people. The people are the firstborn, right? Like Isaac, see? Good news. The promises continue and it unfolds. And when we come to the pages of the Brit Chadashah, the good news comes into its own, and we see that the Son is born, right? The only begotten of the Father. Just like Abraham and Isaac, God himself is faithful and provides the Lamb, provides the atonement, provides the sacrifice in Messiah. So the good news story of God sending his only beloved Son is directly related to the good news story of Israel, okay? Very important to remember. So we've got to always remember the context, just like the song. I know it's a Jewish song because I heard it in a Jewish place, you know? I, uh, so very, very important to, to understand that. But then there's a second lesson for us, and that is God is indeed faithful to his promises. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us right? Abraham was not perfect. Isaac was not perfect. Isn't that amazing? But we know that Yeshua is, and God is. The Father and the Son are, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Back there in uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, we'll just finish by reading maybe just the rest of that portion so that no matter where you are in life, no matter what quicksand you've gotten yourself into, you know, as I, as, um, I can't think of his name, uh, as, uh, who, as, Sta- as Oliver Hardy would say to Stan Laurel, that's another fine mess you've gotten us into, all right? Uh, that we get ourselves and each other into messes all the time. We make wrong choices. We, we, not because we're bad people, but because we're human and we sin. But here's the great news, right? He who did not spare his own son, 
So whenever you hear that, from now on, his own, oh, just like Abraham and Isaac, okay. But delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Messiah Yeshua is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes, present tense, for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Yes, indeed, it is the faithfulness of God who wins the day. Yes, indeed, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And the only place you're going to be delivered is the kingdom of his beloved son to his kingdom of, of his beloved son, in which we dwell now. And so, wow, uh, what a great message we see in Abraham and his faithfulness in bringing Isaac up that mountain. His son, his only son, the son whom he loved. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, God, for this great testimony of your faithfulness mirrored in Abraham and Isaac. Lord, thank you that Isaac was a supernatural son, should not have been born. Lord, thank you, God, that uh, you spared his life. He should have died there, but no, you saved his life. Lord, thank you, God, uh, that uh, even uh, in the story of Isaac and Jacob, it almost didn't happen. But Lord, through, you, through Isaac comes the descendants. Through Isaac comes uh, the promise to, to Jacob and the children of Israel. But Lord, thank you, God, that all, it all was to picture the greater Isaac, Yeshua, whom you loved so much that, yes, you indeed brought up the mountain, but who indeed died, but was raised from the dead. There is no longer a sting of death. Death has been conquered in Messiah Yeshua. Lord, thank you, God, that when we see Yeshua, and your love for him, and uh, your faithfulness, we see in this world, Abraham and Isaac. Lord, may we demonstrate the faithfulness of Abraham with such a great cloud of witnesses with Abraham and Isaac. Lord, thank you that we have the Ruach. We have the, the Ruach HaKodesh. Lord, may we demonstrate that kind of faithfulness of obedience unto you, Lord. God, as it mirrors your faithfulness. God. And, uh, and so we thank you, God, that no matter what people may say about us, no, no matter what trouble we get ourselves in, even bad trouble, Lord, thank you that in Messiah Yeshua, when we confess our sins, we are forgiven and we are cleansed, Lord, and we become, as it were, sons. We become, as it were, Isaacs, saved from the dead because of Yeshua the Messiah. And we pray in his name.